In every generation, there are the chosen ones, the fanboys, the observers, the keepers of useless trivia. They alone must stand against the forces of television drama tropes. They are continuous play. Oh, come on. Stake through the heart, a little sunlight. It's like falling off a log. Welcome to Continuous Plays, The Art of Slaying, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective featuring Brian Thomas. Don't make fun. I worked long and hard to get this promise. And Jay Newcastle. Just because this is never going to work, there's no need to be negative. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the copyright of Fox Television Studios and any discussion of the characters, episodes, or music is strictly for entertainment purposes only. Welcome to the Art of Slaying, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And we're here to talk about Season 2, Episode 15, Phases, written by Rob Desotel and Dean Batali. The episode begins with Xander and Cordy making out in a car when they are interrupted by a werewolf. Not only is there a new monster in town, but there's someone tracking it, a hunter named Kane. Buffy and Giles are tracking the wolf, but they run into Kane instead, and he tells them that werewolves are attracted to sexual tension, and that gives Buffy the idea to go to the bronze and try and capture it. There, she sees the beast, but it escapes. It goes deeper to the woods to sleep, and when it awakens the next morning, we learn that the werewolf is actually Oz. Larry complains of being bitten by a huge dog in gym class the previous week, and that immediately causes the gang to cast him as the villain. However, when Xander confronts him in the locker room, he learns that Larry's hiding a secret, all right, his homosexuality. Willow is frustrated because Oz hasn't tried to make a move on her, so she tries to go over to his house, unknowing that he's trying to lock himself down before the moon activates his wolf. Unfortunately, he doesn't get her out in time. He wolfs out and chases her. Kane, Buffy, and the rest of the gang are all on the hunt and arrive at the same place to confront the Oswolf where a big scuffle ensues. Willow grabs the tranquilizer gun Buffy was carrying and uses it to shoot Oz and subdue him. Buffy then bends Kane's gun with her bare hands using her slayer strength and tells him to leave Sunnydale. The next day, when Oz has returned to his human form, he and Willow do indeed share their kiss because she's decided to make the first move. And that's the plot summary for Phases, Brian. Well, you know, we've had vampires on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We've had Frankenstein Girl. I guess it was time to have the werewolf. And it only makes sense. A werewolf is the next logical step. The mortal enemy of the vampire. You might as well bring it in at some point since this is a TV series about vampires. You were bound to have some werewolves in there. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, uh, but that you know, that's all throughout vampire lore and history, and even in modern tropes of vampires, the underworld movies, even the Twilight movies, for goodness sakes, it's all about vampires versus werewolves. I, I guess I just didn't see it coming when I was watching this show coming through, and again, even watching it in this retrospective series for, for the podcast here, Brian, I, it does come up as a bit of a surprise. I mean, it, it is a surprise that they go there. And it's also a surprise the fact that they reveal to us early on they want us to know this is Oz's problem. There's no real mystery in who the werewolf is beyond the you know first ten minutes of it. And that's a pretty interesting thing to do in a script like this. Usually half of the Buffy scripts are the whodunit. And in this case, it's more about uh, everybody figuring out how to deal with it. 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and, and of course the they don't really find out for a little while. I think it obviously it's Willow who finds out when she goes to try and make the move on Oz that he is the werewolf. They have really no clue. Oz, I think we see figures it out before everyone else, obviously, and even goes as far as to confront uh, an aunt about one of his uncles who apparently is a werewolf which i found interesting as well kind of giving you a little bit of a maybe it's hereditary werewolfism could be or or you know he is bitten by his little cousin jordy right the little baby right and that's that essentially is what you know activates the wolf in him or gives him the wolf gene i mean we don't know they don't they don't go into that much detail about it but it does follow some of those same those same tropes that we're familiar with when it comes to vampires and werewolves and stuff it, of course the old the, the bigger theme here though brian is it's it's sexual urges. It's the metaphor for the dangers of sexual urges. How we recognize them, deal with them, and the price we pay for giving into them. Now we've already gone down this road some with Buffy in our most recent episodes. In this retrospective, it was really all about Buffy finally uh, giving in to you know her desire to be with Angel and the dire quant- consequences that that has has wrought. Well, this is going to be more about everybody else's sexual urges as well because you got Xander and Cordelia, you got Willow and Oz here, and then. Uh, even Larry in, in some cases. And beyond that, it's also about sexual politics, the the changing role of women in society. There's a lot of commentary going on here. I mean, for an episode that's not really an arc episode so much as it's just one of those good kind of uh, off-center ones, there's a lot of deep theme going on in this one for me. At least that's the way I read it. Yeah, it's definitely got a, a high sexual overtone to this episode. Obviously, we begin with Cordy and Xander making out at, at what we would consider a lover's lane type thing, an overview of the city. They're a dark place where nobody's there. They, kids come to make out, basically. And that's where the werewolves like to be. We learn from Kane, of course, that uh, werewolves are attracted to the sexual tension between a male and a female. So there you go. It's a lot of sexual things. Willow and Oz, their their uh, relationship status, that's dealing with some sexual things. Like you said, sexual politics and the changing roles. They deal with that through that storyline as well. So yes, this is definitely a major theme of this episode. And it does a lot. I mean, it may not be what we would consider an arc episode, but I think it's a highly important episode to this series due to the fact that one of our uh, main characters outside of our core is now being introduced as something other than what we thought they were. And that's key. Right. Yeah, I mean, as if we needed reason for Oz to be cooler, right? Now he's a werewolf, but we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that. Let's talk, you mentioned Kane. Let's talk about him because he's new here and he's the werewolf hunter and he's got a tooth from every one of them he's, he's taken. And I mean, I, he's so cheesy. I mean, God, this guy could not have been more stereotypical and cold as that just ruthless Mad Max kind of outlaw type hunter guy and when he runs into Buffy and and Giles he mistakes them for being lovers which is really you know one of those awkward scenes but it also tells you a lot about his personality and his attitude because he sort of dismisses Buffy's whole opinion because of his whole macho chauvinistic way. Kane's a very interesting character he's definitely portrayed as your typical uh I'm a hunter leave me alone don't 
you know, tell me what I can and cannot do. He has a line in there where he basically gets pissed because he's being told by Buffy and Giles that he shouldn't be hunting werewolves. And his line is, you know, first they tell me I can't hunt elephant for its ivory, and now I have to deal with people for the ethical treatment of werewolves. He's very cocky. You know, you, you said that. He's very cocky and chauvinistic. It's a man's world. He should be able to do whatever he wants, and nothing in this little buffy girl can do to stop him you know and they they bring it out to him you know don't you realize that a werewolf is a person the other 27 days of a month or, or whatever number of days it was and he's just like yeah well when i catch them they're an animal and i skin them you know that gets me a lot of money so well, i mean just a real jerk guy i mean i don't know how else to put it he's he comes off as a as a real jerk yeah, he comes off as a real jerk. I think it's the, it's the good way to say it. I mean, he's and he's there. I don't, you know, I don't know if we're supposed to think he's a bad guy or that he's just an obstacle in the way because he, beyond telling Buffy the one useful piece of information he relays, which is the whole bit about you can always find werewolves because they're around wherever the sexual tension is. There's not much else for him to do except to deliver those lines and be that chauvinistic character. I mean, you know, I didn't have much else other use for him other than that. And we don't get much else out of him other than this and then that end scene. Well, he, he's really there to be the guy that they need to stop. You know, that's really his role is they are trying to help this werewolf you know, stop them from hurting other people. And he's getting in the way by trying to kill it. And they don't want it to be killed. So that's really his main role is to be the one they're trying to stop from doing what he's trying to do. The only really other new character that we see in this in this episode is Teresa, and she's only there a couple times, but it's it's meant to bring out a little bit of a small subplot of the storyline. And you know, obviously, she's there being hit on by Larry, who, as we know, met before. He's your typical jock. Always talking about how he's getting it on with his buddies, talking about sex and he's getting it on with his buddies, all right. Yeah. <laughs> telling <laughs> telling, you know, you know, telling all the girls how he could rock their world and all sorts of, you know, typical male chauvinist type attitude he's showing here. But it's all a ruse, you know. We didn't know this at first, but it's all a ruse. But anyway, Teresa's really only there uh, to be a couple things. One, to be Larry's ploy, distraction ploy. And also, she's attacked by Angel, or Angelus, I guess, at this point, and turns up dead. And, of course, people think that it was the werewolf that did it. Yeah, but of course, Buffy realizes quickly that that's not the case, and that she ends up turning into a vampire and delivers a message to Buffy from Angelus before Xander can stake her, and that, that's all we get out of Teresa. Um, I, I felt sorry for her, actually. You know, generally, the the fodder for the evils in the show, we don't get a lot of character from them. There's not much to notice, you know, but I, I didn't really, I don't know. I guess none of these people, this is going to sound bad. I'm going to say she didn't deserve to die. None of these people deserve to die. All right. But there was, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't immediately think she was going to become fodder for Angelus or for a werewolf when I met her. I thought she would wind up being one of the throwaway damsels in distress that they ultimately rescue and then have to try to find some way to explain all this to her. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one. I didn't see her as being one of the people who would further the Angelus Buffy angle of this whole thing, especially the way we were introduced to her. Basically, Larry knocks her books out of there, and as she goes to pick them up, he's looking at her 
at her butt and commenting on how hot she looks from behind. You know, that was all I thought we were going to get of her. I didn't expect anything else. And then to see her being attacked by Angelus and, you know, basically used as the messenger that, you know, reminder Buffy, Angel's out there and he's coming for you. Yeah, and I do like how they sprinkle in Angelus in this. He's not a big part of the story. We do get that scene with him and the werewolf, but he's he's really getting set up as a tormentor. And we've already said that about him going into this, right? That he's someone who will torture his victims and things like that. And even he said that he really wants to take his time with Buffy because she made him feel human and all that. So it's just to remind us that he's remind us, and of course remind the characters, but remind us the audience that he's out there and that you can never rest when he's around. Even when you got other problems to deal with, like werewolves, you, you still have the big bad thing in the dark to, to deal with and it's going to be angelus and that's i I like that message i like the way they sprinkled him in there like i said just just sort of working him in a non-arc plot but making it work the same way they did with the master in season one when they'd have him do one of his little speeches you know just to remind us that he's there yeah i liked it a lot too and i i agree i think that it was well placed and well used for angel if he's not gonna be a major part of the episode at least you need to keep him in the story somehow we need to know that Buffy's still reeling from what happened to her. I mean, this is fresh. Buffy just had this happen to her, and now we know, you know, Giles has told her he's going to come after you, and he's going to do it slowly and deliberately, and you need to watch out for this. Well, here we're seeing him start that slow, deliberate torture of Buffy's mental state before he's going in for the kill. Yeah, exactly. And this is a good time to talk about Buffy's role in the this episode. It's not one necessarily centered around her, but she gets to play a real central part in it again. You know, Willow often is cast as playing Buffy's go-to gal for everything, right? And the shoe's on the other foot this time. Buffy gets to be that person for Willow in this episode. And I really liked that. I thought it gave Buffy something different to do besides just be the strong person and chase the the evil thing around. Yeah, I agree. It's a role reversal. As we've been talking many times throughout this retrospective, Buffy and Willow, they're the girlfriends, and Willow's always the one trying to help Buffy with her boy problems. Well, now... Obviously, Willow is is going through some stuff with Oz, trying to figure out what she can do, and Buffy's there trying to help her along in the way. So it's a little bit of a role reversal from what we've seen, and and I like it because it shows that there are two sides to this whole relationship. It's just not Willow being the girlfriend for Buffy. Buffy's also the girlfriend for Willow, and now we see both sides working on it. So I I did like that as well. You know, she shows, uh, you know, basically she's there to help try and figure out the werewolf mystery. It's not a real big Buffy-centric episode. This is all about Oz and Willow. This episode mostly is about Oz and Willow. and um, But she's there to help try and find the werewolf, to hunt the werewolf. And ultimately, that's about it for her. She She's not the one who takes the werewolf down. She's not the one who comes to the rescue. It's the other characters. And I, I think that's kind of neat. It's nice to have her step back in the background for a little bit uh, every once in a while. Yeah, and she's also the one that tells Xander to not worry so much about Willow and Oz. That's not his problem. You know, he didn't 
want to be a part of that. So now it's not his concern, you know, and, and that, that really comes up at the end that, you know, he's trying to figure out what to do. And, it, you know, he says something like, if I had it my way and she said, no, nope, but you don't have it your way. This isn't up to you. This is up to Willow. And, and she's really kind of puts him in his place, but not in a mean way. She's just sort of the center for everything, which I think is kind of neat for Buffy to play that. Because if you look at it in context, Brian, her whole life is a complete disarray right now. You know, her, her, her lover has turned completely evil. He's going to be the worst thing she's ever had to deal with. She's still trying to hide the fact that she's the slayer from her mom. Snyder's on her back. She's got to take a test, for goodness sakes. I mean, the poor girl's got enough to worry about, right? Now her best friend is dating a werewolf, and her other best friend is still in the middle of all this stuff. And there's a lot of weird stuff going on, and Buffy is really handling that well. I like that. It showed her being really mature. And I think that's something that's common. A lot of times when your own life is out of control, it is easier to sort of focus on the other things around you. And Buffy's doing a really good job of that. And it works well. I liked it in this episode. Um, and I like the way she played, played off of all of it. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it was done very well. And again, you know, she, it's not that uh, she can focus on other things. She's putting uh, a, an I'm okay front up for her friends, I think, mostly. She's trying not to show the distress she's actually feeling in front of her friends. So I think that's mainly what, what we're trying to get out of this, too. Uh, well, Giles in this episode, you know, he doesn't play a major role, Brian, but it, it's always fun to watch Giles get excited about a new monster. So he's really excited about werewolves. Which I did think was kind of funny. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was really cool. You know, the werewolves, oh, excellent. And he goes into his research mode. It's real fun to see that because, you like we, we stated before, you know, he's been trained as a watcher to know all about these mystical beings and things. And he doesn't know exactly what's real and what's not. And so it's kind of exciting when something new that he's kind of learned a little bit about but didn't know it actually existed pops up in Sunnydale. It's it's exciting for him because that's his job is to know about these things and learn how to fight them. So I liked it. It was fun. And you're right. He's not here a lot in this episode. He has that one interaction, as we mentioned earlier, where Kane thinks that he and Buffy are you know, dating or, or seeing each other. That was pretty funny. But other than that, he's there when the werewolf is caught and basically research guy. Well, okay, but did you catch the 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 backwards chauvinism that he had in that? Because that, that was one of the neat parts of it, is that not all male chauvinism is always being a jerk. Kane certainly is that side of it, but what does you know, Giles say back to him? He's like, you do well to take that back, sir. You know, he's like, you, you don't talk about my charge that way. You know, he's sticking up for Buffy the way he thinks he should because he's the man, right? I mean, it's, it's two sides of that role, and I liked it. That was smart. It's another one of those little smart things that if you I mean, the first time I watched it, I'm sure I didn't catch that. It was only after a few times I've seen this episode that I caught that, and I remembered again watching it this time. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. They're playing two sides of the coin there. And I like how they used Giles for that. I thought it was really smart. It's cute. Like I say, there's not much for him to do here, but it, it, it is something nice to, to give him something to chew on a little bit. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Xander and Cordelia, too, because, again, this episode is a lot about Oz and Willow, but there is some, some stuff going on with Xander and Cordelia to kind of progress their relationship a little further as well. As we stated, the the, the episode does start with uh, Xander and Cordelia making out in the car. So the physical relationship is still going on. Of course, they're at the lover's lane, hideaway, overlook, whatever you want to call it, hiding from people so people don't see 
which has been the case this whole time. And so, you know, even though their friends now know about it, they're still trying to keep it quiet, I guess, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's kind of cute. You know, he uh, clearly, every guy in their life at some time has dated a girl that's way out of your league. (laughs) And Xander clearly is in that, mode now and he doesn't know what to do you know we we talked about that there's a lot of metaphor here for urges and i thought it was neat that the women in this episode are the aggressors sexually they they all they all are with the exception of buffy she's not really that but willow and 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 cordelia are and because what what's going on you know xander's looking around waiting for something else to happen he's being distracted and cordelia's like we're in my father's car we're alone why are you paying attention to anything else out here? And I liked his reaction to it. Is is everybody's reaction when you're 16 and you're a guy? You think you know what you would do, but you really have no idea. And and he played it exactly shimpy enough to where you you can all of all guys can sit there and go, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. You see guys like Larry who are always talking about what they're going to do when they get the hot girl, you know, and even Xander's done that some in some of these episodes, right? And when he's finally alone with her, he doesn't really know what to do, right? He he doesn't have any clue. And I think that's funny. I, I thought that was a neat twist on the whole sexual aggression or sexual urges of teenagers. You know, the guys talk the game, but they don't really know what they're doing. The girls don't talk it as much, but they know what to do. I, I found that really interesting. Yeah, what I like, too, is that they're sitting there, and obviously the whole Willow-Oz thing, the whole Xander-Willow relationship is taking some interesting turns where, you know, Willow was upset with Xander when she found out about him and uh, Cordelia. Now, it's like Xander's getting a little upset about Willow and Oz, and while they're supposed to be making out in this car, he keeps bringing those two up, and it really upsets Cordelia. And she's saying, you know... I'm sitting here throwing myself at you, and all you can do is think about Willow and Oz. Who cares about Willow and Oz? Look at me. Pay attention to me. And I think it's it's really funny as well. Other things that, that Xander does in this episode, too, that I thought was interesting, they do a little uh, uh, flashback so that we don't forget certain things that happened before. Xander admits to knowing what it's like to crave meat from his hyena days when talking to Oz. And Buffy looks at him and goes, I thought you didn't remember any of that, to which Xander tries to change the subject. I thought that was pretty cool, uh, bringing that back up. Yeah, it was a nice little callback. I like that. And that lets you know, too, that, that, again, we've talked about how this show rewards you for for consistent viewing, they're never going to let anything like that die. You know, that, that that's what they're setting up, is that even if we do something, we're, that's just not going to just happen in that vacuum, even in that awful episode we're still going to remind you that those little things exist and those happen and they're part of his whole experience you know what about xander and larry now i I want to talk about that for a second here too because that was a really well that that was not a twist i saw coming you know now i can look back and you look at it and it makes sense based on the the way we introduce these kind of characters but that's pretty brave in 1997 to just bring a character out of the closet like that and to have it done the way it's done. You know, they cast all this shadow on Larry, like this big dogs attack team, and okay, he must be the werewolf because that's how werewolves are made. They bite at the werewolves, similar to vampires, and and so he's going to confront Larry about it, and Larry opens up to him and lets him know, and 
in a way, in, I mean, it, Xander's sort of the thing that brings Larry out of the closet. I think Larry kind of thinks Xander may be confessing to him, too. I don't know how you read that. I think they play it that way for laughs. But, but in the same way, you can tell Xander's really uneasy about that. And I thought they played that... They played that very smart and very delicate, and they could have gone really hammy with it, and they didn't at the time. And I, I, I sort of respected the show for that. Yeah, well, and yeah, it's obvious Larry believes that Xander is coming out to him as well because Xander so much as tells him, you know, I know exactly what you're going through. I've been there. I've done that. I've gone through the same exact things that you're going through. Not, of course, knowing what Larry is about to reveal to him. So. Yeah, Larry does think that he's talking about the same thing. So I think it's it was done very well, and I, and I actually knew right away what they were going towards when I saw this the first time, but I didn't watch it when it first aired either. So um, you know, over time, when I saw it, it was well past that. Get, coming out of the closet wasn't as big a deal as it was back in 1997 when, when this originally aired. So. I knew where they were going with it right away based on what Larry had been saying the whole time to what Xander was saying. And I, I found it, you know, done very well, tastefully and humorously. And uh, I liked it. I thought it was a twist that I wouldn't have thought was coming, but it all actually, like you said, it all made sense how he's the typical male jock talking about how he's getting it on with all these girls, being the male chauvinist by knocking the girls' books over so he can look up their skirts and all that stuff, and then come to find out he's actually gay. And it was well done. I liked it, and I love the confrontations between the two later uh, throughout the episode where Larry's like, hey, Xander, thanks for, you know, taking care of that thing with me and uh, talking about that thing with me. And Buffy's like, what, what thing is he talking about? And he's like, oh, uh, uh, I helped him with this. And, you know, I like that whole interaction. You know, Xander's very uneasy with Larry's revelation and the fact that Larry thinks that he, too, may be the same way. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that somewhere or another inside his own head, Xander is trying to repress his own questions about his sexuality? This is a long-standing debate among many Buffy fans. It was Xander gay. Uh, no, I don't believe so. Personally. Okay, that's an interesting thought. Well, we're going to come back to that because this isn't the last time we'll deal with this uh, in the, in this show. But I don't like the way they did that. Uh, you know, Larry, of course, gets the great scene where he's coming on to Buffy to the point like he you know he grabs her from behind and she's trying to be you know wimpy girly girl in the self defense class and then of course she throws him like twenty yards, which is hilarious. <laughs> which you know it's, it's really funny and it's great, but that's that's what's supposed to happen there. You know, that's that's what you want to happen and that ultimately she she can't get. We've talked around them enough Brian it's time to talk about Oz and Willow though because they are the focus of this episode they, they they really are and like I said before like we needed a reason to make Oz cooler now he's a werewolf yeah well for let's talk a little bit about Willow first here you know she starts in the episode obviously she has just learned about Xander and Cordelia the episode before this one right so she's still a little ticked off about that and it's really funny because as this episode goes on it kind of takes an interesting little twist at first she's talking about Xander and Cordy she throws the line 1-800-I'm-dating a skanky hoe at Xander which is really funny but then later in the episode Cordelia is is 
confiding in her relationship issues with Willow, which I find very humorous that she'd sit and listen to this girl whom she despises the fact that she's going on with Xander, but still is listening to her talk about her relationship with Xander and trying to help her. Well, which I think well I'm going to throw this in there. I, that is, I think that is done very deliberately to, to show us that even though Willow's upset about this, that she is still the same person she's always been on this show. She's still the caring one. She's the good friend. And that Cordelia is still the same person she's been on this show. She doesn't care about anyone but Cordelia. <laughs> and it doesn't even think that this might be awkward for Willow. I think that's done very deliberately and it's played very well by both of our actresses here. So I give them I give the writers applause for that and the the actors as well for playing that that way because I think it's really smart. To, to flip that on her because you're right, Brian. She's, she's very, very hurt by this Xander Cordelia thing and all the feelings she has for Oz are still competing with the way she feels about Xander. You can tell. like She's still wrestling with that and I like that. I like the fact that she didn't just immediately go, okay, I'm with Oz now and Xander's my friend. Well, It, it takes a while to get over things like that. That's not easy and that and that's one of the best parts of that, that whole portrayal. I agree. Now, Oz, I, I love this, too. Again, we made a mention to the fact that Xander admits some memory from his hyena days. Well, there's another great reference back to season one here as well. As Oz, we first see him staring at the statue of Catherine, talking about how interesting a statue it is, because no matter where he goes, the eyes are following him. I thought that was hilarious. A great little uh, homage to the fact that Catherine is still trapped inside that statue. I thought that was great. Um, but yeah, we learned that the the werewolf that is going around town lately is Oz himself. And I think this was an interesting and very well done plot twist. And of course, Joss has stated, you know, he went to Seth Green and said, hey, you know, we'd like to keep you around. What about becoming a werewolf? And Seth Green was 100% all for that. He loved that idea. And so, yeah, it was cool. But I like how they do that you know he when he turns into a werewolf and then back to his human self he has no memory of what happened as a werewolf so he has no idea what he did the night before where he was he wakes up in the middle of a field basically with no clothes on and is basically wondering what happened he has no clue how he got there or any of that stuff which is really cool and he starts putting these things these pieces together before the rest of the gang uh, figures it out and then calls up his aunt Marine to ask if Jordy was a werewolf and finds out that that is something that happens in his family. And so, yeah, I think that was it's an awesome little twist for Oz, and I like how yeah, they and, did it. and as werewolf lore goes, you know, I said at the beginning, werewolfism or whatever is is a metaphor, especially for male sexuality and and coming into your your sexuality as as a male. And a lot of times, you don't understand what's happening to you. You don't know, you don't know where all that comes from, and it just sort of hits you in a flash and stuff. And I thought they played that real tastefully. It's still the same metaphor here: is that he he doesn't remember any of it. But he's aware something is different, and he becomes more aware of it as the episode goes on, and of course his time will go on, and, and to the point that he realizes he's got to get Willow out of that house because he knows he's about to wolf out. But yeah, I, I really like that. I, he's Oz to me is one of those characters that, like we said, he's he's so cool, but we're starting to see him in moments where he's vulnerable. 
And that's something we haven't seen out of him yet. And I like that. It's a new twist on the character. It gives us, it gives him new depth with everyone else. And it just it makes him a, a further part of the bigger circle here of what's going on. Yeah. And you, you mentioned too, that, you know, he, he goes and, and, and starts attacking Willow. But what I liked about Willow too, is that she's been talking to Buffy about how the, how this relationship hasn't progressed. And she really wants, you know, Oz to make a, the move to kiss her to do something then she doesn't know if that means he's not into her and she thinks he's being distant and finally the moment she decides to confront him about it he's sitting there trying to put himself in shackles and chains to keep himself from going out and doing any harm to people and all of a sudden Willow shows up at the door and starts going laying into him about how he's been distant and and what's going on does she he not want to be in this relationship and Oz is saying you need to get out of here you need to run and all of a sudden she starts seeing him turn and she realizes what's going on and boom out the door and they're running all over the place he's chasing her uh, well, I mean I, look, look that that whole thing is every male as he's coming into grips with his own sexuality and what that is the worst fear is that a woman actually will approach you and, and it's the same thing Xander has in the car is what am I going to do I can't be around you right now and it it scares him because in Oz's case very literally he's going to turn into something that can hurt her the metaphorical side of it is that I won't be able to control myself and my urges around you you know and that, that's really what's going on here and that it's happened in both both of our male uh, side leads here, which I think is a really neat thing. But yeah, when he wolfs out, and uh, we we hadn't talked about this yet, Brian. We got to talk about the werewolf costume. What did you what, did you like it? Because it's different than you know werewolves are generally portrayed as very tall, very lanky, and and that kind of and long and lean and stuff. Well, these werewolves are more squatty and small and kind of. I don't know what to compare. Honestly, the first time I saw this, I was like, is that one of the monkeys from The Wizard of Oz? And that could have something to do with the actors and that they wanted to make it look realistic that Scott, that Scott Green, that Seth Green would, would turn into this thing that he wouldn't just morph into this massive animal or what. But what did you think of the werewolf costuming? Well, I, I thought that the werewolf had some crossed eyes going on. And I thought that was really weird looking. <laughs> I don't know if you saw yeah. that, but to me it looked like the werewolf had crossed eyes or something was going on with his face. I, I liked it though, you know, they they made it more of a a wolf man type thing. What you would think of a wolf man. Uh you had you could see the resemblance of a human in there, yet you had all the fur, the claws, the 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 snout, everything, and it had drool and all sorts of stuff. I thought it was a good a good job that they did on it. I I didn't mind it at all. Better than you know just putting some hair like Teen Wolf. Oh for god! Something. Don't even don't don't bring Teen Wolf into this podcast by all means. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I liked it too. I thought it was neat. It's a neat take on werewolves. Won't be the last time we see the werewolves, and I think they do perfect the costume over time. But this was a pretty neat introduction, and I like the physicality of the werewolf versus the physicality of a vampire. You know, one of the things we know about vampires in Buffyland is they all know kung fu, and and the vampire 
and the van face is really freaky, and they're really fast and strong. And generally, they possess some other talent that's some augmentation of their personality. Where werewolves are just able to leap and bound really quickly, and they're when they get a hold of you, it's like the Tasmanian Devil cartoons, right? It's just a, a <laughs> whirlwind of fur and fangs and claws. And I like that contrast, and that's sort of the contrast to werewolves and vampires always. Vampires are these classical kind of romantic figures. Werewolves are these animal instincts, you know, and uh, they're two they're two kinds of predators. You know, the, the, the predator that allures you with his look and with his voice and with his whole demeanor, that's the vampire, and then the one that allures you by just overpowering you with what he is. Yeah, and I like, too, that the, the werewolf is, it's aggressive. Yes. It's all about getting food. I mean, it's hungry, and it'll do anything to get the food. And when they, uh, you know, end up locking the werewolf in a cage which, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but when they end up locking in a cage, that werewolf is ticked, you know? And I like that about the whole thing. Well, Brian, when we look at the the important parts of this episode, the things we need to remember, obviously Oz is a werewolf. That kind of matters. Angelus is a guy that's going to really mess with your mind before he ultimately comes in to kill you. Um, We get a little bit more from our character arc and, and... what's going on with our relationships here. But I think the biggest thing here is that it establishes the women of this show as ones who are confident and aggressive and go after what they want in spite of what the consequences might be for that. We've already set that up with Buffy. We were now setting that up with Cordelia and Willow, too. And I think that's uh, an interesting path that we've set our three female characters down here in this episode. Yeah, and you got to remember, back in this time, this was all around the time where it was okay for women to make the moves you know before it wasn't looked highly upon now you in the in the mid to early to mid 90s is when the women power movement started to get big again and that was one of the big themes women are allowed to make the moves women can pay for their own dates women can open their own doors that kind of thing was really big at the time so it only makes sense that they would introduce this into this series as well and uh, they did it in a very good way I, I agree it was done very well and I liked it I thought it was a great way to, to really show that the women of this episode because Buffy the Vampire Slayer let's face it it's all about the power of women that the whole series and now we have three strong women going after what they want Brian, we're at the point of the podcast where we give our dustings rating for this episode. So what's your dustings rating for episode 14, Phases? I really, really enjoyed this episode. I didn't you know, recall before watching this again for this podcast series, I didn't recall uh, liking it as much as I did. But as I watched it, I, I was very... I was very much going to give this a four, but then I thought a little bit about it, and I thought, you know, it doesn't really hold up as high as Innocence and Surprise, which we just did in our retrospective. So I'm giving this a three, but it's a very high three. It's very, very entertaining. It's good. It gives great character development to Oz and Willow, which I think is needed. And it keeps us into the main arch with Angel a bit. So overall, a fun episode that I can watch over and over again and enjoy. So I give it a high three. And Brian, I'm going to join you. I'll give it a three dustings as well. I thought they tackled some really touchy issues in a very interesting, if not totally original way. 
but really handled everything well, and they advanced our characters forward. I'm I'm all for getting off the main story arc as long as we're as long as there's a purpose to it, and I think this one had a purpose and it worked uh, for that purpose. Folks, we thank you for joining us for this latest episode in our Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. You can keep up with updates of our podcast when we have new episodes and such by following us on our website at continuousplaypodcast.com slash Buffy. And Brian, people can also send us messages now. Tell them how they can do that. You can send us a message or a question, comment, anything like that to our email address, mailbag at continuousplaypodcast.com. We hope to gather up a bunch of questions and put out a special episode on... uh, question and answer type things from our listeners so if you have a question or a comment please do send it to us there or even on our guest book on our webpage. and folks tune in again next time when we talk about bewitched bothered and bewildered until then for brian i'm jay thanks for tuning in to the art of play Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the copyright of Fox Television Studios and any discussion of the characters, episodes, or music is strictly for entertainment purposes only. Grr, arg, 